Welcome to the Collingwood Rant. I'm Sly. And I'm... Ooh, I predicted this. Well, no, I didn't spook. This is the round two episode. We have... Round two already? Yes, round two already. Two weeks into the season... Or two rounds into the season. How many lockdowns is that? I'll tell you next week. Yeah. Um, so, let me just ask you. Hmm. We both were... Um, I don't know what... Oh, you were. Okay. I, I was pretty confident. But you made me say those bad words about Collingwood. So we are both uh, a little bit diffident about the game against the Blues. Going into it, uh, Buckles and the Brains Trust, they dropped Oliver Henry and Trey Rusco. In came Callum Brown and Steel Sidebottom. Yep. How'd you feel about dropping Oliver Henry in particular? Oh, look, I, would, I think we said it last week. I would have been happy if they were given another crack at it. Um, Rusco uh, obviously did because uh, the inevitable happened. Um, but uh, it would have been good to see him run around again. I mean, it looks like that injury, injury stub is going to be sort of a position they just rotate through. Well, it's a requirement at Collingwood. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Do you think we could have an injury sub for the injury sub? That'd be a long, long line. All right, so the game begins, you know, I don't really believe I had that much hope at the way, we, you know, we played last week, looked terrible. The first half, who were those players wearing the black and white stripes? <laughs> I know, it was amazing. So we played with a lot of purpose, yep. a lot of speed. Yep. Played long with direction. Uh, the Goey and Elliot rotated. Elliot played pretty much a Jaden Stevenson role from 2018. Thanks, if only we had a Jaden Stevenson to do that also. Uh, the Goey is a beautiful... Oh, they're both beautiful leads, so they both really offer something for the midfielders coming forward, or running forward. Um, Coxie seemed to be playing, I don't know where he was. But there was like a period we got five goals up against Carlton, and... We were just dominating around the ball. Did it actually surprise you that we were capable of that? We, we do this in fits and starts, though. Like, last year we had these um, amazing games and then failed to turn up the following week. Um, or the following quarter. I probably didn't expect this to be such a um, not dominant performance, but just so looking polished. The other thing, um, there's a couple of times where, where Carlton got back, and I remember thinking, oh, they could probably run over us now but we actually put the wall up and 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 held firm which um again shocked me a little bit as much as you made fun of collingwood's game plan last week particularly with the opening to the episode Just last week yeah that third quarter when carlton were really coming hard they collingwood started chipping it around they actually did it with a little bit of authority which surprised me and they totally slowed the game down and it's like okay that's a good time to use that as a strategy mm-hmm. against a rampaging side but that second half didn't seem to have... I mean, once we sort of got back on top, it didn't seem to have the fluency of the first half. Maybe there's a bit of tiredness, fatigue, that sort of thing that going through. But I mean, one of the things that really set up that first half... Was Taylor I, Adams? Taylor Adams. So, you know, if you look at the, um, the disposals, they're pretty much even for the most part. But the one thing we just edged them out in was contested possessions, 126 to 145. Taylor Adams had 18 of those contested possessions. Jack Crisp, to my surprise, had 15. And Zach Williams had 14. And then Darcy Moore had 13. But in terms of the centre clearances, up to, I think, Collingwood had 12 centre clearances and Taylor Adams had eight of those. And at one stage, they said he had 11 of 20, Collingwood's 22 clearances in general. 
you look at the other guys, I think Zach Williams had four and Patrick Cripps, who generally just monsters us, had three. So Adams was better than the next two midfielders. And it seemed by him getting his hands on the ball, he became a driving force. And then other things started falling into place. Drak Crisp looked extremely damaging as a Drac, midfielder. Drak Crisp? Drac, Drac Crisp. He's a, he's a Bond villain. Drak. <laughs> oh, that's what he is now. Drak Crisp. Or a, or a vampire. Yeah. Drak Crisp looked really good as a running mid. Uh, Pendles had, you know, a game from yesteryear. Mm. So, even Grundy took a mark. In Gr- I mean, so what do you think about Grundy's game? Um, it wasn't great, it wasn't bad. Um, a lot of the, the tap work was still either going to his feet or, or um, wasn't, again, like he obviously won the hitouts. We got the numbers there, not that yeah. it really matters, but um, again, I think the effective hitouts were still um, fairly average. Um, I mean, I think there's a couple of times, like, you know, he pushes the ball into space, but no one's there running to, to, to really intercept it. I think there was one really one that, that, that got me excited early on in the game where Dugowie came through and, yeah. and completely just run past the ball. But it looked like when he was going to connect, that's exactly what you want to see. Um, but there was no sort of repeat occurrences of that either. So, look, it, it was, look I, I think in, in terms of last week, it's, it's definitely um, an, an improvement. So the hit outs are 21 to 55. So we know... Statistically, Grundy is always going to dominate the hitouts every he, week. I don't think he's he's lost um, statistically the hitouts for about I don't know four years. I think they said he had like fifteen hitouts to advantage up to about three quarter time, but I don't know how they determine that metric because a lot of times it's like I'm putting the ball there and one of our guys is running past and grabs it. And it's a bit of a fumble because the ball bounces and all that sort of shit. And Carl play overruns. It's like is that paid as a hit hit out to advantage or is mm-hmm. that just circumstance? The one thing, another thing sort of you tend to criticise Grundy about, which I've never said, is as a ruckman, he doesn't show a lot of ruck traits outside of um, getting his hand to the ball. He doesn't sort of drop back and take stabilising marks. He doesn't drop forward and, you know, grab a few and kick the goals. You know, Darren Jolly did that mm. really well during that little period he was with us. He does the ruck roving stuff really, really well. But there's times, particularly as a, you know, arguably the biggest player on the field, I mean, outside of Mason Cox, you really want him to just sort of stamp his authority in the game. And I don't see that enough. And he did it probably a few times last year, no, sorry, the year before last year, where he just decided, oh, I'm tapping it, no one's getting it, so I'm just going to start doing it myself. I'm going to grab the ball out of the rack and just go for it. Mm. Um, but I just want to see, still, I want to see if his ruck midfield relationship develop to the point where you're actually maximizing his ruck dominance, mm. and midfielders who, you know, I'll, I'll use Callum Brown as an example, who's sort of a young, developing midfielder, actually gets an advantage on opposition who are more experienced and possibly better players, because there's a ruckman tapping it to him. And they have a strategy where, you know, Cal says, I'm going to run that way, and Brody says, I'm going to tap it that way. And Cal says, and then Brody taps it that way, and Cal runs that way and gets the ball. And it's like... There's a symmetry to it. It's no, like poetry. They should be employing those uh, little secret moves they do in the uh, in, in the American gridiron. Yeah, yeah, touch your ear three times. Well, Tony uh, Shaw had those when he was coach. Point point to the ground, say tap it fucking there. That could be a, a bit of a, uh, a a good strategy to employ. Probably another good strategy would be for someone like Callum Brown or whoever just to go up to Brody and go, look, we're wearing the same jumper. <laughs> just just a tip. So, I mean, out of 10, how much would you rate Grundy's um, game? Probably six. Six? There's a lot of people sort of really praising him. I thought he played with uh, more purpose, but I still 
want to see those other things. The guy was brilliant in that first half and then oh, yeah, he faded was... a little bit in the second. I, I thought maybe he'd have um, six or seven in him the way he was going, but uh, yeah, he, he did vanish. But they must have put um, a little bit more intention into oh, it. I think once page. Elliot also went off that, allowed him to focus more on the goey. Yeah. Because it really reminded me a lot of 2018 when you had people rotating throughout the forward line and there was always a different target. So you didn't know who you should be double or triple teaming because it was one moment the goey, then it was Elliot. And I thought Huskin Elliot had one of his better games, probably the best game he's had, I think, in about three years. It's not uh, saying much. Jeez, I can't believe how much you're bagging him. You got... But... He played that sort of game he played in 2018. Statistically, he I think he got about 12 possessions or something, but he kicked a goal. He took a nice mark. Yeah. Uh, and he's never going to be someone who's going to um, have a dominant physical presence. He's the sort of guy who's going to stay on the outside, and if you can feed the ball to him, he'll kick his 30, 40 goals as he did a few years ago. That's, that's what you want from him. Yep, definitely. Braden Sire. I thought he started um, slow. Like, the first half was um, really... Um, pretty much of a, a non-event but he really worked into the game and some of his little quick fire handballs especially I mean, we talked about it earlier that one um, he handballed over his head when he hit that pack that, that was just sublime yeah. and you, you think you know, you've got that ability it just has to be you've got to keep developing it and, and get him to do this stuff consistently well, going back to what but I think there have to be a big confidence booster for him to, to the way he finished off the game he has to have continuity just and to I mean, there's a few times, there's one time, I think about the third quarter, where the ball was in congestion and he was running in. And I remarked to my brother, I was watching the game with him, and I just said, he's big enough to just run straight and make people fear him. And he actually did that, which I was really impressed with, because at that size, I mean, it's like Crisp, uh, Crips, sorry, not Crisp. Um, <laughs> Drac. Yeah, it's not like Drac Crisp. But it's like um, Patrick Cripps. He's always played like, I'm six foot five, get the fuck out of my way. I am the bullocker. Yeah, you know, and if you're in my way, then that's just bad luck for you. Whereas at times, Sire doesn't seem to have that intent, and maybe that just comes with experience and all that. But in terms of going back to what we are talking about the midfield before, you really need players like him to step up and take up the load off guys like Pendles and Adams, because Adams is not going to get, you know, 13 clearances every game. As Why not? He He's, plays for Collingwood. He set an expectation now. Oh. Um, tackles were 41 to 65. So, I mean, in terms of where we were at last week, where we just seemed listless, you asked, has Buckley lost the players? Does a game like that show you he still has the players? We just don't have the system to do that continuously? Oh, it's hard to tell. I mean, you, you, you could... You can still, tell me I'm your co-host. <laughs> you could still have effectively lost the players, but you would sort of think that that sort of game can be a pride thing after the way they finished last week. Um, but, I, you know, that's a long stretch. Um, it probably is more endemic of... Um, the, you know, he probably fully hasn't lost them, but uh, certainly uh, this sort of thing binds you a little bit closer together, you would think. Mason Cox, what were your thoughts about his game? Um... Not bad, not 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 a standout, but um, effective. I think it'd be a, a clean way of putting it. I think mean, he started poorly, and it, I mean he dropped that sitter from. Um, yeah, Wyatt there Jack. was a couple of those that you think you should be marking those. Blind but then there's a, there's a couple afterwards he marked, and it was like, I don't know, like that one he dropped where he was uncontested because he has the eye problems. I don't know if he looked right up in the lights because it really played out like he just lost where it was. Um, but I think he showed his value in if he kicks a couple of goals. But yeah, he finished with two, didn't he? He finished with two. I and think he's, he's a reliable he, stroke kick. I think he got like over two, 30, three. Over 30 metres. Yeah. Um, 
but he, if he can kick a couple, you know, regularly, so he ends up the season with 40, 50 goals, no, and he gives be, Grundy a chop out in the ruck. You'd be happy with that. So Jack Chris, we talked about 36 disposals, 24 kicks, 12 handballs, three tackles. How, many, how much blood did he drink? <laughs> I don't know how much Drake. Hey, come on, Drake, tell us. Um, he loves the night games. Does I, one problem with Drac is, and we've all, well, I mean, I think everyone's noticed that he's the best. The, the gap between his best and his worst is sizable. Yeah. And you had that game which was sublime, and then you'd think, hey, can you back it up? And he might just totally lose it next week. So it'd be interesting to see how he copes and it's against his former team if if the game goes ahead. <laughs> it could be played in our backyard. Yep. Darcy Moore. Oh. How many superlatives can you put into this bloke at the moment? Uh, look, he'd have to be, and it's early, it's only round two, but he, if he keeps this form up, he could win a Brownlow this year. He is borderline and untouchable. Or borderline. <laughs> I was going to actually ask you something, hypothetically. Do you think he's movable? Someone said to me, after a game like that, surely you can't contemplate moving him forward. It's hard to argue against the, uh, just about how how good he is as a defender. Would you really... Again, it comes back to that conundrum. Do, do, do you rob yourself of that and the assuredness that, that he's more than likely going to win um, the contest and the ball that comes down to him? Or, or do you take a chance on him doing a little less uh, stat work in the forward line, but he could be an effective forward if the delivery was good? Okay, so now let me put it to you this way. Everyone's raving about his game, yet still McKay kicked four goals. Yeah, it's a fair point. I mean, what? So, um, a few of them are on the lead. There's one where Moore slipped over. And I look at those ones and I think, okay, they're the ones he's never going to stop. Now, are we, do we have him down there where there's going to be goals kicked anyway? And are we wasting his talent by putting him in positions where he can have no impact on the contest? Mm hmm. You know, because you look at that, he's kicked four, and it's like, well, okay, you play rough head on McKay, maybe you would have kicked four. So what have you lost? Okay, maybe some Moore's rebounding and marking. Well, that's but maybe the... you compensate, compensate in other ways. But that's the thing. You, you tend to... You, when you win a game like that, like I didn't realise he'd had four kicked on him. Um, do you care? I mean, you do, but do you, it didn't influence the outcome of the game. You tend... If we lost the game by um, a, a kick then you'd be looking at moments like that saying, if he'd done his job better, um, we wouldn't have lost. Oh, no, I look at it in terms of the argument. I would prefer him playing forward. And I know he's a brilliant defender, but I think he could be a brilliant forward. And the reason I always champion him playing forward is that reason what I've just said there. There's contests he can't influence. So it's like, well, okay, McKay got four anyway. So you play Roughhead or whoever mm-hmm. on him, and he would have kicked four. Yeah, no, I it's like how much of you of the more material have you wasted? I mean, you look at other aspects of it. You're not going to get that sort of counter attack out of Roughhead. Um, more backs himself in the mark. There was one mark I think in a lot of his intercept marking. You just couldn't imagine anyone else pulling off that. There was, that, I think, it was in the fourth quarter where they went forward and he was between two Carlton players and they were all running. Oh, back. that was that was amazing. And yeah, and he had no right to take that nah. mask, Mark. And you'd think take that, that mask. Oh, I can't speak anymore. <laughs> and you think David Teague in the post matchup review for Carlton, he'll be looking at those two players and going, hey, there's no way he should be allowed to take that mark. You know, one of you should spoil, the other one should crumble, whatever the case might be. So I 
you know, Grant, he takes some brilliant intercept marks, but I think, well, just imagine he's taking brilliant marks up forward. The query is, you know, how are we going to deliver the ball? Are we going to deliver the ball sublimely as we did to the goey, or are we going to just kick it in the air and hope for the best, which we do often with Cox? Um, my check? Um, better. Better than last week. Again, like, he started to have a little bit of presence around. Um, what did he end up with? Three. He got three, yeah. So, yeah, look, no, I'm very happy with that performance. I actually thought he was really good. I know he didn't play a consistent 100 minutes or however long a game is, but he he chipped in when it was needed. Yep. And he took some good marks. And that last goal, you know, at Collingwood, you just sort of think, oh, we'll blow that kick. But he was very composed, and you put it through, and you pretty much sealed the game. Um, your whipping boy, Josh Thomas, seven disposals, five kicks, two handballs. He might have been playing a defensive role. Uh, we don't really know. Yeah, I did read that on um, one of the, the forums about that. I mean, that was a theory, so I don't know. I, I mean, he, he it, it's hard to gauge some of these players on the TV if they're not demonstrating a presence by getting their hands on the on the football. Um, if he's doing that sort of defensive work and, and he shuts someone down, um, then good more power to him. Well done. I don't know. I don't. Uh, <clears throat> I didn't see the game that way. On the I TV. look at it in terms of okay, seven disposals. It's shit. Seven disposals is shit. And I look at it, you come to a point in players' careers, and I know Josh Thomas began as a midfielder and he's been sort of forced into a forward role, but you get to this point with players as they get older and you're going, okay, you're giving me seven to ten possessions a game. I play this 18-year-old, he'll probably give me six to eight possessions a game. I'm only losing a couple of possessions by playing him, but I'm pumping games into him. Yep. And that he could be a total, you know, blow up, blow up, uh, you know, total explosive talent and you I know what you're going to give me and it's like well which one do I go for and I think Josh Thomas very similar to like Tark and Lockyer in 2010 when both McCaffer and Joe Blair succeeded him I think Josh Thomas now sits right there and sort of Will Hoskin Elliott is just behind him I think Will Hoskin Elliott has some genuine X factor though um, but Thomas is like I'm looking at that game and thinking I would rather seen that game pumped into Oliver Henry yep and do you think, like, uh, moving into next week, I'm sure we'll touch on this a little bit uh, when we look forward, is that it's easy then to retain that uh, side for, for next week. Yeah. And he's more than likely then to, to stay there as well. And again, that's just another game where you've got people waiting in the wings who aren't going to get an opportunity. Do we do we have a VFL game this week? Or no. I don't think there was, was there? No. And, and at time of recording this... Um, okay, it's uh, 5.30. Yeah, but the teams that some of our ex-players went to. They haven't played yet, so we're not going to do ex-player watch. Um, Aww. Can we, do it, can we do it twice next week? Sure. Um, what do you think of the jumper? I love that jumper. That is... Um, it, that, that should be... Uh, yeah, that it should be... Um, um, that should be our uh, home strip. So Eddie McGuire claims that, you know, we used the black base in the 30s or something. We, we never did. It's actually a fib. We've never used that. Eddie Lott. He was proud and historic about it. But... Um, <laughs> But we've never used that jumper. And I actually lament that we never get to see that uniform from the 90s and 80s and 70s with the white base but the black yeah. shorts. Um, Love it. You know, so that's like my preferred jumper. I, I sort of realised what they were trying to do with the black base, but I still prefer the other jumper. And that's the jumper we've worn pretty much the entire history outside of a few flirtations with yep. um, other designs. Out of curiosity, do you think we, and particularly you, not me, you... Are too hard on Nathan Buckley? Uh, no. 
So, because I was looking at his record, so he's, he's coached 207 games, he's had 114 wins and 97 losses and two draws. By comparison, Maltas, who had a couple of extra seasons, coached 286 games, 163 wins, 121 losses, two draws. So, let's say Buckley coached out the next three years and he got like, you know, 13 wins in each season, just conservatively. He'd, he'd be up there with Maltas in terms of his record. Yeah, how many flags? Well, that's the one place they differ. Malthouse, in four grand final attempts, got the one flag. Buckley, <laughs> but don't, that's just normal at Collingwood, though. That's, that's nothing negative. Buckles has only had the one grand final. Um, Buckles, so he's got a few more to lose before yeah. he catches up. I, mean, but, uh, I think he is the man for the job. Nick, uh, I'm just asking, are we too hard on him? Are we expecting too much? I think you look at it that um, 10 years in... Um, we're not going to win a flag this year, unless we do. Um, but it's unlikely we will. But again, how long do you want to keep doing this for? The 10 years is a long time for the, with, with the same head coach. It's, it's, it doesn't happen all that often for a reason inside of the competition, unless you're successful, of course. Not to defend Buckles, but like, I, I do think it's time for a change. But geez, the behind-the-scenes stuff while he's been coached, the stuff he has no influence over, has been terrible. So you just go back to last year. I mean, he wasn't the one who signed the contracts which blew up the salary cap. Which, you sure? Well, maybe he did. But I'm, I'm presuming that it was, you know, they had a list manager who took care of the contracts and blew them up and stuffed up the salary cap. And they came to him and said, well, we've got to get rid of this much money. These are the candidates. Who can go? Um, and if you go back early, I mean, I think it was a mistake to rebuild when he first took over because he really only held onto that list for two years. But then, you know, they gave him guys like Scharenberg and Freeman and Brumette and Kennedy and Carnesis and Quentin Lynch and Jordan Russell and Clint Young. And all these guys were busts for him. So in terms of their list rebuild, they didn't do a great job under him. And then you've had all the Eddie Maguire gaffes, you know, about the stuff with um, Cameron... Uh, I was going to call him Cameron Goods. Adam Goods, Caroline Wilson... Uh, and other stuff. So, I think during his, his tenure as coach, he hasn't had great support behind him. Having said that, I don't love the game plan he's playing. Matt Rendell came out and criticised the way Collingwood tried to use their tall forwards as forwards, but sweeping up to the wings to be linkages and then to also go down into defence and help out. And he was just saying, well, you know, you're really asking too much of them. Do seem to have a complicated game plan. We see the same errors year in, year out. This is why I think we should change. Oh, definitely, yeah. But, in terms of like, he still has his defenders and people who think he should be there for another two to three years. Would you entertain that in any way? What would it take this year for you to entertain the notion that we should re-sign oh, Buckles? It's a flag and that's it. I don't care whether we make a prelim and, and, and get smashed. I, I still don't see that as, as, a, as a... It's pure success. I want somebody that's going to come in and, and shake things up and, and get a, a side ready that's going to win a flag, not just... Okay, but surely if he won a flag this year and the players all came out and said we love him, that's when we should replace him. <laughs> uh, on a side note, I mean, that happened in our game. Oh, actually, two things. Do you like the interpretation of the deliberate rule? Oh, fuck me. That Howe one was a disgrace. Oh, it was a miskick. Blatant miskick. And what did, the, what did the umpire say? Uh, it was the, the, the lack, of, lack intent. of intent. The lack of intelligence, I think, of the guy with the whistle. That was just absolutely so. But it's been so far a weekend of staggering umpiring decisions. Hang on, I want to get to those. But the one, with the how one too, you could hear it was a miskick. You could see the way it wobbled. It was a miskick. 
there was absolutely no evidence that he, you know, he bananaed or anything. He sort of, he, it, it was an obvious miskick. And even the commentators said, I think it was a lack of intent. I think it was a lack of execution. And then Pendlebury was pinged, um, I think in the third quarter, deep in defense after a ball up and he just turned around and snapped it really quickly. He didn't seem to actually even go for the boundary. He just went like, I just got to get it out of here. And again, that was pink. So what do you think about this deliberate rule, which they're really harsh on? Oh, it's it's too open to interpretation. And especially when you this thing's been around for how many years and you're making dumb calls like the one that was made. Um, so the Pender one, you know, you, you can probably argue either way, but the, the Howe one was blatantly a miskick. And now suddenly that's um, lack of intent. Yeah, you, it's too... Not, I don't know whether it should be too complex, but... If you want to get it down to that level where there's no shadow of a doubt, whoever the last bloke to kick it, yeah. whether we're in intent or not, and it goes over the boundary line, it goes to the opposition, yeah. and, and you do it that way. Take take all of it. If you're going to piss fart around with would it, would you like level, that rule introduced? I wouldn't be against it. I don't think. No, you would. Probably if it uh, benefited us, I'd be okay with I it. it had, uh, I think they actually had that rule in the 1930s. When we, when we last wore the good jumper. Yeah. Or the black jumper, that's yeah. right, sorry. But the reason I don't like that rule is you're penalising the guy trying to make the play a lot of times. So I don't think that's really fair. And that's Well, that that is the downside of it. Like, if you kick it up the ground and you, and you can't... Once that ball hits the ground with the shape of yep. an oval ball, it could spear to the right, it could spear to the left and go over the boundary line. You're not in charge of that. So, yeah, I can see where that would let it fall down. Well, Collingwood should not in charge of any kick, eh? Where it goes, you're just hoping for the best. And most no, of I think if you if it's Collingwood, the ball spears back at you and uh, snaps your fibula. Holding the ball rule. <laughs> that, that one, I mean, that's obviously everyone was outraged last night, but that uh, blow close decision was the, absolutely was a, appalling. There was a few at Collingwood. Uh, sorry, the Collingwood Carlton game. There's a few both ways. Um, so, and there was a couple of later ones for Carlton, which they weren't paid. But that blitz last one for Geelong was just absurd. If that's not the textbook one of the where the AFL umpire and administration should go, this is the one you pay a hundred times out of a hundred. How that was overlooked, and they can claim, oh, the umpire was unsightly. It's like it's bullshit. It's total bullshit. Um, so I, it's really. I just wish Chris Scott saw it. Yeah. He must have been checking his underwear at the time. Do you think Chris Scott saw Gibbons goal from outside the boundary? Uh, no, I mean clearly on the uh, on on the um, the stills uh, it was over. And this is, this is a bit that irritates me with this is is that I mean the amount of times I think last year we had goals that were reviewed reviewed apparently without the umpires flagging that they wanted to review, which then then the AFL come out and said, oh, we, we we review every little thing that goes on. Um, they use that voice. Uh, yeah, no, of course they would. Um, didn't see this one. Now that's that classic thing that if you do review every goal. Surely within the first couple of seconds, you've worked out that um, his foot was over the line and you disallowed. Or did they just get wrapped up? I mean, it was a great goal. Well, it's not a goal because he was out. <laughs> it was a great kick that went through those two yeah. big uh, white sticks. Um, do you get wrapped up in the occasion for yeah, that? Yeah, definitely do. But, you know, I think back to um, Dale late Thomas. 2000, the Dale Thomas one. 2007. Um, 2007. Yeah, and that was superb was- um, and disallowed. So that, that was an even better goal because I mean he he balked two players to kick it. Yeah, so it did make me think of that as well. But clearly. so what do you think about the umpiring in general in the AFL? Because I mean, I, it's been a bugbear of mine that it's shit. I don't blame the umpires. I blame the interpretations coming oh, from it's, upstairs. It's, it's, yeah, again, there's too many layers, or it seems like there's too many layers of um, interpretation for each rule. There's, there's a, what, how many rules would there be in, in AFL? 
Um, it's only probably a handful, essentially. Yeah. But then you've got these trees going off there about ifs, oh. then, and whys. You then blow the whistle. It's just too complex. Like the one that really frustrates me is the illegal disposal. You can get tackled and drop the ball and it's play on. I think, but surely you haven't disposed of the ball correctly. Yeah. If you just stood there um, and were about to have a kick and then just drop the ball on the ground, you wouldn't get away with it, would you? Well, that prior opportunity has totally messed things up because it just means that if you have that prior opportunity and you dispose of it illegally, you're fine. Whereas it should just be, hang on, okay, even that prior opportunity, you still thrown it or dropped it straight to the ground. Mm. Uh, and I find that really frustrating. I've, I, I hate the way the, um, uh, the holding the ball and illegal disposal has been umpired for 20 years. I think it's a fucking blight on the game. And I think the people in charge, not blaming the umpires because obviously they're getting instructions from a higher up, but I think the people in charge should seriously be chopped because... How we need to watch games like the Brisbane-Geelong one also, where there is a blatant free kick there, and it's just not paid. But you think, you know what, if that was on the wing, that probably would have been paid. And that goes back down to the trees, you said. There's the qualifications mm-hmm. of, oh, well, it's not in front of the goal, we can pay it. It's not going to decide, you know, a game. And that's, I think, a big problem. I think the AFL are really worried about free kicks deciding games. And it's like, you know what, that blitz ass one, if that was pinged, and, you know, Brisbane had a shot and the one in the game, I think... All but one Geelong supporter would have said, yeah, that's fair enough. The only one who wouldn't have said that's fair enough is Chris Scott, who apparently didn't say it. He didn't say it. I think he was reading a book at the time, he said. Um, I mean, the thing is, you don't ever, and it's a classic statement, you don't ever want to see a grand final decided by something like that. I that, that would be, I mean, because it always go against us. Um, but that no, was that was a disgrace. But in, some, in the grand final, if that was in the grand final, I would want that grand final decided by that, because that, to me, is 100%, like I said, 100% of the time, that is a free kick. So if a grandfather's decided by that, I would just say, yep, that is a free kick. There was a... I went to the free... But they put the whistle away in the grandfather's. So you know and that. that. And there are those ridiculous qualifications. You put the whistle away, uh, take a brave umpire to pay that. Uh, if that was up the ground, it would have been paid and all that. Why are there all these qualifications? A rule should be the same rule at the start of the game and at the end of the game, game by game, round by round. But our rules constantly fluctuate. fluctuate. And... It just shows you how malleable they are and that they really bend to the whims of, you know, media and all that sort of shit. I think it's disgraceful. Yeah. And but it's not enough. And I'll tell you, sorry, let me just... The other rule I fucking hate to death, and I'd seriously... I can't believe the NFL are not held accountable for it, are the ruck infringement rules. Where you have two ruckmen going up, the umpire blows the whistle, and no one, no one knows which way it's going to go. And everyone, from the players, to the commentators, to the fans, are all just going, okay, which way is it going? How the fuck could something have happened which 500,000 people are not seeing, you know? But apparently the it's just fine for this to be a lottery and, and for the umpire to go, okay, it goes that way. And everyone's going, okay, we'll run the other way then. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you have a free kick that no one else other than the umpires are able to see is there? It's ridiculous. Surely if there's an infringement there, everyone would be fucking seeing it. But they don't. So I just think the rules, across the border, I think the rules are a mess. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, because now this is the Brisbane rant, um, the AFL came out today and said that they uh, they did get that decision wrong. So that's well, that it. Problem Brisbane. fixed. Um, we're going to get on to Brisbane in a minute. Carlton Cheer Squad on Twitter. They're not affiliated with the Carlton Football Club. They make a they got a little disclaimer on their you know on their profile. After they lost, they tweeted, "We have a losing culture." Insipid. Who Ab- we do Collingwood? No, Carlton. Carlton oh, Cheer Squad. Oh. Absolutely zero talk from all the players and staff at our club this week, please. Shut the fuck up and just do something to change it. 
Yeah, no, I did see that one. That was good. But it's funny. It's like absolutely zero talk from all the players and our staff. But please shut the fuck up. I think they've already <laughs> shut the fuck up. I think you wanted to speak up and say, hey, let's change some things. This, this is what anger does to you. It's and they deleted that tweet after it had been like 155 times, retweeted 14 times and quote tweeted another six times. Well, you, you got champion data onto those stats for the tweet? No, it just comes with the tweet on the bottom. You're amazing. We don't do any research in the show and yet you uh, pull out the numbers for a tweet. <laughs> Incredible. I do some research. This week, possibly, Collingwood versus Brisbane. Yes, it could be held um, in, 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 a, in, a, in a suburban oval near you, for all we know. I think um, Brisbane have been told to stay an extra day, was the last I've, I've heard, while they await the outcome. There's another case that's been uh, announced in um, uh, uh, Brisbane, so that's two up there, so that's probably end of the world stuff for the Victorian government. Uh, I imagine that they'll stay here and we'll be flipping the game. So we'll be playing at the G, um, Brisbane are zero two. Yeah. We are one and one. Um, Brisbane got reamed at the end of a game. Do you think they'd be coming out angry? I'm actually curious about Brisbane. When they lost to Sydney in the first round, I was thinking maybe, you know, they have that. Sometimes what happens with teams that have been up for a couple of years and they're falling just short. They just, you know, Switch the bottom off. drops out. Yeah. And they, like Melbourne's been doing for 50 years. So <laughs> um, I was thinking, when they lost to Sydney, I was like, oh, maybe. You know, maybe that's happened. And then you texted me about them getting smashed by Geelong early. But then later on, obviously, they came back, so they showed some fight. That sort of thing that happens with that blitz ass decision, it could be that could work one or two ways. One, they're entirely motivated to the fuck, let's just go out. We need to win now. Or it could just be like, you know, this is worse than a Zack Snyder film. So it's... Something where I feel like it could affect them either way, and I really don't know. And it, it seems like it's going to be a pretty topsy season because you have the couple teams at the top, like Richmond and Port, who seem to be doing pretty well and still up there. But then you have a couple who just, or more than a couple, who you just don't know which way they're going to go. You don't know if they're going to improve on that last year, if they're going to maintain the intensity, if they're going to fall away, whatever the case might be. So I'm actually interested about how Brisbane's going to fare. And they got Joe Danaher there, so they've actually improved their list. His, his form's looking pretty good too. We've lost Jamie Elliott. Um, what a shock. Is there any chance that we could have one of these inspiring wins that, that, that doesn't come at the cost of a player? And he, he was looking... Oh, he was probably the last... Elliott. Actually, even against Bulldogs, he's one of the few players who looked yeah. lively. And if he's got a broken bone, it's probably six to 12 weeks. Jeez, if only we had a lively forward that could have come in and taken his place. Yeah. Well, he should have been in to begin with. So, Collingwood surgeons said they operated and everything was great. They've been announced they operated on the long, on the wrong leg. So I was going to ask that. <laughs> no, that didn't did actually. They, did happen. they get the right person? No, no, they got Billy Elliot from the movie. Who comes in for Elliot? Do you go with Oliver Henry? There's not a. There's no depth actually. I should say it's a lot. There's no depth. <laughs> um, well, Rusco um, came in, so surely shouldn't you be asking the question about uh, who the uh, injury sub's going to be? Because that's really going to be the only change. I don't know. No, no, because they'll still have to have. They've only got twenty one. Yeah, well, Rusco, Rusco presumably holds his spot. This yeah, way, so who comes I'm, in for the... So it's pretty much the uh, the injury sub. I actually think the Tyler Brown will be the injury sub, but I actually would drop Rusco and bring in Henry again. They've got a... I like, I like Rusco, but he's not a like-for-like like in terms of with, with Elliot. So Henry's meant to be that sort of live-wire type forward. He's the one I'd try. Unfortunately, because of, you know, the, the AFL fixed ring, they don't get a game like so maybe, you know... 
they don't want to bring someone straight up. They might just go with who who they've got and bring in someone as an injury start, but hope they don't use him. Did we draft any opportunistic uh, medium and small size forwards? Oh, we drafted what's his name, that McCreary and Charles. Well, there was some, uh, some talk about him being good in the, in the VFL game. So look, you've got to bring someone in. You've got to give someone a bit of. Uh, I think we we. Well, got to be choice. literally should be debating and debating 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 the drag yeah the drag um, we should be having at least one new person a week for the for the first couple of rounds but um, until I'm sure. attrition takes its toll and then we well, just then, have we'll, to. then we'll be having eight of them um, so yeah look I, I'd rather see look if it, and I like Henry um, I think he shows something but maybe it's it's Rantel or Bianco, one of those things that we, we drafted 20 years ago, um, deserve a, a, bit, a little bit of a, a time in the sun. Or maybe even Murphy, he's been knocking on the door for 17 Okay, well, years. so Murphy's an interesting one, because I was actually going to say what I'd, I'd like to see him do, which I know they won't, because we're Collingwood. I'd actually like to see him try Noble in that role. of the, like. Jeez, a, I just thought, how good was he, though, the other night, too? Yeah. Um, and then bringing someone like a Murphy to play that mm. role he's playing. Just to try, I've always thought Noble... Would be good to see him play as a small forward. He's got, you know, some pace. He's got some bravado and all that. So maybe, hey, try something a little bit different. But I don't expect they'll do that. I think they'll just fall back on what they know. I don't know off the top of my head who we're missing in terms of established players. And I think, I mean, unless they bring in like a Greenwood or a Main or something. They're about the only senior ones left, aren't they? I'm pretty sure they are. So I don't know that there's anyone else they can really bring in. Do you think... Okay, so... You mentioned earlier we don't have the consistency in the way we play. Who knows the way we're going to come out oh, this it. week? Yeah. You, you could have a stinker easily at Collingwood after that. Um, look, I think they'll, they'd have to draw some positives out of that. You know, I think Buckley said that uh, the press conference that uh, that was their brand that they were more <sighs> really? happy to move towards. Did he say that? I didn't oh, say no, that. I, I didn't I say that post press conference, yeah. assuming that we went through the same script yeah. that we read every time. Um, but you'd certainly have to look at yourselves internally and thought, well. That's more of what we think we are. We should get better um, from that. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. a launching platform. It's where they go from here is going to be that. So going back to that game, Kate Darcy Moore's been in the league for a few, oh, you know, one and a half years now. You know he's going to produce that next week in all likelihood. And then Pendles, even though he's 33, if you know he's going to be up there. Adams, you know he's going to try. Now he's going to get those numbers again. I don't know. Is Chris going to get those numbers again? I don't know. And to be honest, I don't think he will get the 36 possessions. Um, so the issue is to duplicate the performance they exhibited against the Blues. They need guys to be playing out of their skin. And I don't know, outside of the handful, like Pendles and more, if you're going to get those performances again from others. And that's the biggest issue with the lack of lack of depth now. You go to 210 to 11 when we're really dominant... And you had Swan and Pendles and Daisy and Wellingham and Ball. And you had this really much vaunted midfielders like, okay, we'll tag Pendles. Okay, Daisy gets under the, uh, under the radar. Or we'll tag, you know, Swan. And then there'll be Pendles that'll come up. You had a lot of really quality, consistent players to come up. And no disrespect intended to the players we have now, but I don't see that ability that proven ability, actually, I should say, and the consistency there to really believe that, hey, if Pendles has a quiet one or Adams is tagged out of it, who's going to step yeah. up? I oh, don't see that there. Brisbane are a far better side um, than, the, than the two that we've encountered so far, but their form is, is not indicative of that. But at some point, they're going to switch on. 
Well, the other thing is how much is this COVID thing and the. Well, that's that. That'd be. I think this is where you, you're going to probably find that we'll take whether if the games are switched, we're the one with a massive advantage here. You've got them that are going to be away from unplanned time away from family, whatever they do um, during the week. They're missing out on. I think they that the Lockie Neal said they're hopeful that they get the all clear to go back home tomorrow Sunday, um, but you probably think they won't. Uh, and they've got to stay here. It, it, I mean, again, you, you can't change that side. They had a couple of injuries. Um, so you bring how I don't know how many you'd bring on, because normally they went on in the study. So the only one, one bring, uh, yeah. So you've, you, you, you won't be, I wouldn't have thought, be allowed to fly any other players down, um, especially if uh, Victoria closes the borders. Should um, we give him Josh Thomas on loan? I think would um, you'd probably play the game of his life then. Um, us, yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, so look, I think everything should be indicating that we would have the upper hand going into Thursday night. So, okay, so we've had one really listless game against the Bulldogs. We've had one really positive game against the Blues. What's the real Collingwood? I think we can only answer that in round 23. What do you foresee? Um, what did I say we'd lose by last week? 74 points? Oh, I don't know. I reckon 75 this week. So that's your tip? 75 points we lose by. I'll tip we're going to lose by 13 points. I don't have faith in that list structure to be able to produce um, a continual form line, a consistent form line. I think there's just too many variables there. And you have too many players who, they're not the Kickstarter of the the, the engine. They're mm-hmm. the guys who, like, once you're going really well, they're going to be hang great. On, hang on the coattails. Yeah. Um, but they're not I mean Pendles is an obvious Kickstarter Adams is a Kickstarter Grundy is a Kickstarter I'm not even full of shit maybe (laughs) but in terms of Grundy as we've seen stats don't actually mean anything about taps so unless he does it all himself like he did a couple of years ago his influence isn't as pervasive as you believe Pendles has been up and down and even though Pendles had a good game the last two games some of his decisions at times you just sort of look at him why would you do that it's almost like I don't know He's getting senile at 33. Yeah. So I, I just don't think we have the framework there to consistently produce performance that up there. So I think we're unfortunately going to see like lots of dips. And, yep, no, I agree with that. And in terms of Bulldogs, uh, Bulldogs Brisbane, 40, 43 points, that would have said. I said 13. It's just blown out. It's blown I mean, out. see how much it, uh, it, it, uh, it peaks and drops. Oh. Um, look, no, we probably will win, but um, we won't win by 74 points though. No. So I think we've covered everything now. We're, we're having a better each way. Should we learn, or should our players learn the names of all the Brisbane players' mothers and just say them at pivotal times so are they, they have meltdowns? Are they all Martha? Are they, they Martha, Martha, yeah. Martha, 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 Martha. Martha, Martha, Why did you say my name? <laughs> um, yeah, so that's it from us. I think, unless any final thoughts? No, no, let's just uh, go out and win uh, Woodleys. It'd be wonderful. Thanks. Okay. Thanks for joining us. Now, you know what will probably happen, though, is we'll find out that the Brisbane, uh, they've all got COVID and we'll get it. And um, that'll be it. I think there's more chance that no one at Brisbane has COVID. But we'll, gonna, but we'll still get it. But, well, they're going to come and play us and they'll get leprosy because, I don't know, something <laughs> happened at us and now we all have leprosy. Till next week, uh, subscribe, leave comments. Um, Hate mail's good, too. No, no, like our Facebook page. Oh, someone, please. Yeah. Later. Catch. Oh, that's it. The flag's on. It's a perfect shot. It is. It's unbelievable.